Welcome to episode 198 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theater featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. You know, if you like the podcast, I do hope that you'll leave a comment or rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, or wherever you get your podcast. Your comments and ratings do help new people find this show. But even more than that, if you know somebody who might like this show, please tell them about it. Some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because somebody I knew told me about them. So spread the word. And if you do tell somebody about the podcast, let me know about it. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at stageworthy pod and you can find the website at stageworthypodcast.com and if you want to drop me a line directly you can find me on twitter and instagram at phil rickaby and my website is philrickaby.com my guests this week are Jordi o'dale eric benson and melanie leon from dauntless city theater's production of all's well that ends well on now until august 25th at berksey park in toronto I'm Mel, Melanie Leon. I'm Eric Benson. Eric Benson, and of course... And I'm Jordi O'Dell. <clears throat> so, <laughs> our, and, and the Dauntless Theatre, and it is uh, All's Well That Ends Well. Yeah. So, who wants to start by telling me about this particular production of All's Well That Ends Well? I guess I can kind of take point on that. Uh, so... All's Well That Ends Well uh, is one of Shakespeare's earlier problem plays, as most people know. Oh, yes, the problem plays. The problem Mm -hmm. plays. It has a a (coughs) particularly bad ending, even as far as uh, Shakespeare goes. Yeah. Um, And especially for a company that focuses on doing accessible uh, queer theater, Mm -hmm. doing a show like this presents its own kind of struggles and so what we have done is we have adapted the text as well as like other pieces of uh of text from other works and we've created a much more nuanced much more feminist and positive version of the show all right well i mean given given the ending of of this particular show that has such a Terrible um, uh, outcome for, for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess, the, I mean, if you don't do something like that, is there a value in doing a show that, that ends in such a such a way? I'll tell you about song. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I'm actually one of those people that quite... Uh, I, I still enjoy Shakespeare in its original text. Like, mm-hmm. I still find that I... Uh, selfishly just really enjoy his plays the way they are because I, I'm intrigued by what his Mm -hmm. thought process was during that time. Um, And, you know, obviously feminism was not a thing back then. So uh, his plays are not inherently feminist to me. That's just like a crazy notion to put put on that. Um, However, like, I, I, I think no matter what, this, this ending is very unsatisfying, but I think there is still a commentary that Shakespeare is trying to make about the idea of marriage, about the idea of the fairy tale ending. And I think because it's, it ends so abruptly and I, it's really hard to not see that him, I think, making a comment that is it ending well? Is mm. marriage the be all and mm. end all of our, of, of, uh, um, society. And like, be, once you have your partner, like that's it. And you know, Mm-hmm. success has had I and mean, that is usually how we know it's a comedy right yeah. there's a wedding at the end yeah well and that's, that's the, the thing problem. is he literally named it all's well that ends well <coughs> yes and it just doesn't end well so how can you, <laughs> how can you yeah. title yeah. it uh that mm-hmm. although to to jump off what mel said like in terms of making shakespeare i think shakespeare and i say this is somebody who does love the text you really have to justify in this day and age mm. what you're doing with it and why, because there are yeah. 8,000 productions of any given play uh, every year. Yeah. And I, and it is sort of like, 
what is the responsibility of rehashing the same sort of like colonial white Mm -hmm. male story um, (coughs) when you could be sort of focusing on new stories that haven't been heard because of suppression or, or what else. And so like, I do think that as artists, we have a responsibility to justify why we are doing each production because otherwise it's just vanity. Sure. Absolutely, and also, I mean, there there are plays that that end in ways that a modern audience is will not be satisfied with. Mm-hmm. Taming of the Show is one that has an ending that that people are often like, like, how do you even deal with with this mm-hmm. play? You know, mm-hmm. um, there are lots of plays that people are are afraid to touch as they are. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> there are so many that, and I mean, of course, then we're also talking about you know the when people say Shakespeare, there's like four that people know. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and so then mm-hmm. when we when we sort of go outside of those four, then the people expect something, and sometimes with a problem play that that, that can be really difficult to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I mean, a lot of people possibly don't even know the the story of All's Well That Ends Well, and so for them coming to this play, they they know the story of Hamlet, or at least they may have studied it in school, and they mm-hmm. know. Romeo and Juliet, or they think they do, and like there's things that they that they that, that they know, but coming to a play like All's Well That Ends Well, mm-hmm. they they don't know it at all, and so mm-hmm. for them it's like they're discovering <clears throat> something new. Mm-hmm. That said, uh, who wants to give me the quick synopsis of what uh, All's Well That Ends Well is about? <laughs> Everybody's shaking their heads. Eric I don't want to do it. I don't <laughs> want to do it. <laughs> uh, so uh, essentially, oh. God. <laughs> Because yeah. it's a problem play, it's not like it has like a, uh, an easy way to yeah. uh, to describe it. So there is a uh, a duke in France. His name is Bertram. He's recently become the the, the count. Mm-hmm. I already said duke, and I meant count. Yeah. There is a wow! <laughs> oh, I'm doing such a good job, Shakespeare scholars. Look at me now. Yeah. So there's a, a count in France. His name is Bertram. Mm-hmm. He recently became count because his dad died, mm-hmm. uh, and he's sort of like living in France, not doing much. And there is a girl named Helena who is of lower standing that's been living in his household for however long. Who is in love with Bertram, just absolutely in love mm-hmm. with him. But she's of a lower station, can't marry him kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the King of France is really super sick, and Helena, who is the sort of heroine, her her like late father was this amazing doctor, so she's like, I know what I'll do, I'll go and I'll heal the king. So she heals the king under the condition that she gets to choose which husband. Yeah. Uh, and so... <clears throat> She does it. It's all great. She's like, Bertram, be my husband. And he's like, no, absolutely not. This is the worst idea ever. Mm-hmm. And runs off with his friend, Parolis, to Florence to fight in the wars. And is like, Helena, yeah, I will not marry you until you have the ring off of my finger and you're pregnant with my child. And so Helena... Yeah, I'm, the, yes. The, your faces are being made, because this is, again, problem play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when you have a ring off my finger and you're pregnant with my child, then then I'll actually be your husband. And so Helena doesn't really take heed of that. She gets so pissed off that she walks from France to Florence uh, to be like, nip, 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 nip. So she goes, yeah, she goes over there um, and she meets Diana, who is... A local lady who Bertram has taken much interest in and is like, oh, hey, babe, you want to be with me? And she's like, not really. Um, So then Helena convinces Diana that what they should do is uh, do the handy dandy bed trick. Oh, the old bed trick. The old bed bed trick. Switcheroo. Yeah, the old switcheroo (laughs) where Bertram thinks uh, he gets to be with Diana, but instead gets to be with Helena. She gets the ring. She gets the baby. They go back, and the way that Shakespeare ended it is that, essentially, she's like, bet, I did what you told me to do, and he's like, okay, I guess, <laughs> guess we're married now. Yeah. Um, there's also, like, a, a weird sort of subplot with uh, Bertram's friend, Parolis, where it's like, sh- they th- th- that character just lies about all of their exploits, and then gets, there's, like, hijinks to prove that Parolis is lying. Sure. Yeah. As wow. they do. Yeah, it's... 
Wow, I can't see why that play is considered a, a problem, right? <laughs> There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Yep. And so, who who are you you folks playing? Just to get the just to get that out of there. Uh, I'm playing Diana, mm-hmm. so I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm actually an amalgamation in this, in our version of two other characters and the original Diana, mm-hmm. um, which has actually been quite lovely because it gives her much more agency, which I think is nice to see for modern audiences, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to having a mother negotiate all your uh, yeah. <laughs> things for you. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm playing. Uh, I'm playing Lafieu. Uh, Lafieu is uh, kind of like, I think, the elder courtier uh, in um, Bertram's mother's household and travels with Bertram to the court of France to kind of just essentially be like a chaperone. Apparently not a very good one. No, apparently not a good one at all. Um, and then, yeah, he does a bunch of stuff. It's kind of hard to explain. Mostly, mostly Lefeu, yeah. Le, Le in the original play and in this adaptation just kind of like follows everybody around and like comments on how stupid everybody's being. Um, and I think that we've kind of retained that, that, that aspect of the character where he's just like walking around being like, y'all are ridiculous. <laughs> it's so what funny. are you wearing? Literally, like... Almost literally says that to one of the characters. I mean, it's, look at what you're wearing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are your guys? I mean, Dauntless has a, has a pretty long history of doing this stuff outdoors, and, and quite a few years in the in the in the park here at uh, Berkeley Park. Um, what's your what's your relationship with, with with Dauntless? How long have you been doing shows with Dauntless, and, and in what capacities? Uh, I this is my second year. I played Don John last year in Much Ado. Mm-hmm. Nothing, um, which Eric directed. Um, yeah, and I so that was my first show that I did last year, and I'm returning again because um, it was a lot of fun, and I actually really endure. Uh, endure. I, rock, I, <laughs> I really enjoy. Everybody's tired. I really enjoy outdoor theater. Um, or mm, let me rephrase. I really enjoy being outside, getting to feel like. I'm doing an arts project and enjoying the summer. Outdoor theater has its own set of problems. So, you know, it's a toss up. Um, everything has to be much bigger. Uh, but, you know, yeah. We should, we'll talk about the challenges of, of outdoors sure. uh, in a second. But. Uh, this is my third year working with Dauntless. Um, the first year I got to do, uh, as an actor, uh, The Two Gentlewomen of Verona. Mm-hmm. Played a couple of fun roles in that. Uh, last year directed Much Ado About Nothing for Dauntless, and then this, then this this year I'm playing Le Few. <laughs> He's a courtier who's kind of a bitch. <laughs> Enjoy. Yeah. Uh, so my first sort of dalliance with Dauntless was again. D- don't laugh at the word dabble, dalliance. No, it's like dalliance with Dauntless. Like yeah, it like it, a, yeah. Alliteration uh, is fine. Yeah, take that Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> Was three years ago? Was that two, two years ago? Mm-hmm. Uh, again, in uh, Two Gentlewomen of Verona. Um, I was an actor in that one. I played Julian, which is the non binary version of Julia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I didn't, I wasn't involved with Much Ado at all last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I came on and assistant directed and co designed this one. No, the original Two Gentlemen is, is another one of those problem places. Yeah. That's another, so you. You're you're <laughs> dealing with some of the the problem plays historically. You get to mm-hmm. come in and do those. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I'm well. I think with all art, I'm very. A lot of people would mm-hmm. would find me sacrilegious in a way mm-hmm. uh, because I do believe in collaboration and mm-hmm. creating new things out of uh, stuff that's already existed, mm-hmm. um, which I think a lot of people are very much purists and like, this is what the intention is. Um, but for myself, like if I had like a body of work mm-hmm. and was long dead, I would want artists to snip it up and do whatever and play with it and explore <clears throat> as much as they want. Cause yeah. then it's not static. I mean, I, I do think that, that there is a certain, Thing about about Shakespeare that the purists like some people are like oh it can only be done in pumpkin paints with a rough and I'm always mm-hmm. like but then who connects with that mm-hmm. you know um, and he'd been dead a long time so oh, he yeah, doesn't like, really care 
what we do with his stuff. Yeah, and it's not like most of his stories were, like, very new, mm. either. No. It's, no. you know, they're all, they're all, like... They're all tropes. They're mm-hmm. all tropes. So it's like... Yeah. The, the language is beautiful, yes, yeah. but uh, at the same time, like, if you're going to do a play that's really, like, misogynistic or violent mm. or, or something like that, like, what is the point of of showing people... Like, oh, this is how bad things used to be. Remember that? Well, and then, like, not commenting on it. I can speak to that a little bit because I, I like, no, but I, 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 first of all, I hate the term purist. So it's like, it makes me really uncomfortable. Um, but I also just like, I can watch a, a show that has, as long as it's made for modern audiences and there's a clear intention, mm-hmm. I absolutely 100% agree with that. Um, but I can sit in the Shakespeare muddy water mm-hmm. of like, for example, watching Othello strangle um, Desdemona mm-hmm. on stage. Some people choose to hide that because it's a huge trigger. Mm-hmm. But for me, I like making people uncomfortable in mm-hmm. theater. And mm-hmm. I, I think that it's important to also tell those stories because those things still happen. And so like for me, I actually sitting in those like muddy places Mm -hmm. as an audience member, I can watch that and be like, that's fucked up. Sorry for swearing. No, it's a podcast. We can say whatever the fuck we want. Nobody's going to tell us. Like that's fucked up. I don't like that. (laughs) Or like being Marianna at the end of measure, measure, like begging this horrible, abusive asshole of a man to Mm. like take, take her back Mm. is so hard and we had a lot of audiences that hated that Mm -hmm. but i do think there is something for me in that watching as an audience member i i don't like it Mm -hmm. and i think but i still can walk away being like yeah that's fucked up and Mm -hmm. shakespeare's fucked and maybe he maybe it doesn't have a place but i still get something out of that for for those things like both of those situations further the plot mm-hmm. in some way. Like, both of those end up Absolutely. being, like, part of, Absolutely. like, the thesis. There's like, no place for racism or things that do not move the plot <clears throat> along. I absolutely, yeah, you absolutely know, like, we don't need to, yes. we don't need to, to yes. do Titus and no. have all of the, like, racist stuff about Aaron the Moore in it, because it's if just, it like, because it doesn't move move serve anything. Along, absolutely. Yeah. And that that's why I'm, like, 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 uncomfortable with purists, because sure. I'm, like, you know. Some of those things, though, those are, like, those are, the way that you present those, those are choices. Yeah. yeah and, and and you make your choice and you go with it. Rather than like some shows that are just like, well, this is the play. Yeah. I'm just gonna do what's in the play, which is a little bit boring and lazy. Like yeah. make a statement. If you're gonna do it, that's a statement. Yeah. Especially something that has been seen and has <clears throat> been done yeah. a million times. I think that's a lot about um like there are a few common plays that have been made into to films mm-hmm. to whatever degree of of uh of greatness or, mm-hmm. or what have you, but it's like there's only so many things that you can do with a, you know, like a Neil Simon play, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like what if what are what are you saying mm-hmm. if you're gonna do this play, especially with how much time and money and mm-hmm. energy theater costs? Why are you going to like remake Kenneth Branagh's version yes, of yeah. Othello when <coughs> everybody can go home, sit on their couch, get it from for free from the library, mm-hmm. and watch it? Like, yeah. it's it's for like, sure. are you adding are you adding to the conversation, or are you just being like, oh, look at us mm-hmm. doing our Stratford Lean? For sure, I do. I do sometimes wonder, like, if Shakespeare here to go back in time and say to Shakespeare, you know, we're studying your plays in school, if he'd be like, oh, good God. Yeah. I just wrote those quickly. What? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Probably. It's like, I probably would have cut cut down on the dick jokes yeah. like, at the Wait, very least. What did they say about me? With all those dick jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But performing outdoors, as, as, as you mentioned, presents, a, uh, presents certain challenges. Especially, uh, there's one thing to do, like, Shakespeare in the Park, where an audience comes, and they sit in an amphitheater, and as it's outdoors... Um, uh, but people are generally there in like a theater setting and they're there to see a show. Whereas when you do it in, in Berksy Park or wherever wherever else in, in a situation like this, some people are there just to walk their dogs. Some people are there to, to see the dog fountain. Some people are just passing through. People are there in various stages of, of preparedness to have theater happen around them. Mm-hmm. So that presents certain challenges for, for doing a show like this. So how... How do you deal with that? 
This I'm looking at Eric because he's barely said anything, and I'm like, I want, I want to give him an opportunity. <laughs> I mean, to sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Percy Park has its own lovable challenges. Um, there's like three major streets, mm-hmm. right? That bank it. So there's always traffic. There's two fire departments, one on either side, <laughs> and whenever something happens anywhere nearby, both of them are alerted. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so that's hard um, I mean people a lot of people do come through and stick around for a scene being like I'm just here to walk my dog and take a selfie with this horrible dog fountain and now I'm watching a play and some people stick around for the whole thing like it's really endearing mm-hmm. um, I think as a performer and I guess as a director for last year one of the tricky things if I can put it the way is like kind of trying to figure out where the hell the audience is going to be at any given time <laughs> because the show is promenade right so mm-hmm. you can walk around the park with us and then the audience is going to plant themselves right here on this side of the fountain while you're here oh approximately a third of the time um and like constantly adjusting and being like okay so how are we going to get to the next scene because there's a crowd of 65 people in between us now um mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's unpredictable, mm. which is unusual for theater. Yeah, and one of my f- favorite things about Dallas, this like that is that is being in this park and being mm. able to interact with people, which to me is you don't you don't have your final cast member until the audience is there, mm. and then it's like. Oh my God! Yes, where have you been? Like we've needed you for so long, and then it really comes alive. And because you're dealing with the 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 crowd, it really kind of we're it just it, you can tell Shakespeare wrote it for yeah. uh, mm-hmm. the people because you need you need mm-hmm. them. They become mm-hmm. so much part of it. And traveling around the park is is super fun and inviting. And if people like want to join for a little bit and go away, like. That's fantastic, and I love being able to mm-hmm. navigate that. Do you have people who interrupt things. the play? Oh, yeah. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I think that's the thing that is, like, so beautiful about doing, like, uh, pieces in, in non-traditional space is, like, especially as a performer, like, your job is to let go of your ego, mm-hmm. let go of of all of that sort of, like very self-centered view, uh, like, view of, of the work that... Mm-hmm we as performers all have and it's just kind of like you gotta just let that go Mm -hmm. and let what happens happen um which which is lovely because Mm -hmm. it it means that there is somehow higher stakes but also lower stakes because Mm -hmm. it's just kind of you can't control how people are going to react or how they're going to to be in that situation so it keeps you on your toes like you don't see anybody do nobody's checked out if they're if they're doing the show because you're spinning so many plates. Um, and then again, there there are definitely its difficulties in the the hot August sun, and you've got people that are chained to their little spot of shade that mm-hmm. they found, and they're just like languishing because it's so hot. <laughs> and you've got three soliloquies in a row to go through, and you're just like, I'm feeling feelings, and they're like, Yes. Yeah, Prove it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and if I can piggyback a bit on that, something that I think is kind of fascinating, and I think this is something that our brilliant director Scott um, recent like actually talked about. Um, that you know, okay, so like when in a typical theater setting, right? Like the stage lights are always so bright that you can't see anyone, mm-hmm. right? Like you're in a silo. Right. And like you can feel the feelings and be all the things and so on. And you don't really know what the audience, Mm. you can feel them as an actor. Like, you know, you get to feel what the audience Mm. is experiencing in a way that's kind of intangible and hard to explain to people who haven't done it. But you don't see them. Yeah. Whereas in something like this, you see every single fucking person. Yeah. And you're like, this is a great speech. I've re- Everyone's bored. <laughs> right? And yeah. you know. And you have to respond right yeah. now because they are right there. Mm. One of the most terrifying things that I've done as an actor is look my audience in the eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, which was, you know, I did it the first time. The first time I did a, a solo show and the lights were up for like the first few minutes. And so I could see the audience and they could see me and they could see that I saw them and like... 
looking them in the eye as you start to speak is a thing we don't do very often. Mm-hmm. And it's really kind of terrifying and and mm-hmm. vulnerable in a way that, that we are not. It's funny mm-hmm. that we're not used to being that way in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. As long, well, not anymore. We're not used to being that way in, in, in front of an audience that we can see. Mm-hmm. We're okay to do it if it's our fellow actors. You guys, you guys get me, right? Mm-hmm. And then, oh, I, and then, when the audience is there, then you see mm-hmm. everything. Right? I love that shit. <laughs> I love. I'm like that. I'm that asshole actor who, if you're, if you're mm. not looking at, I'm, I'm, I'm. I know sometimes it's like I make people uncomfortable, but some, I just like if you're not, I, I make it my duty to get you mm-hmm. in, yeah. invested yeah. in me. I agree. Like honestly, yeah. all of the theater I've done in the past couple of years has all been either at like outdoor theater mm-hmm. or theater in like unusual venues or it's been uh theater uh for young audiences or, mm. or like for like all families and that's my favorite favorite thing my audiences that aren't expecting to see a play and children are the best audiences to have mm. because it's there's no there's no like packing patting your back there's no like your friend who was like oh wow the design was really great like you know yeah, 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 instinctively yeah. like what what you're doing because kids and people that are expected to be at a show are honest they'll be like what yeah. what did you say <laughs> I don't get it <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and you also I think uh, kind of adjacent to that and kind of thinking about what you were saying earlier Mel. Uh, is that you also get a, a sense of which audience members are into it and which aren't. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't just necessarily mean the show, but like if there's some interaction happening, it's like, great, oh, you're paying attention, I'm going to talk to you. Yeah. Like you very quickly are like, you do not want to be talked to, and this is going to be a terrible experience for both of us if I keep talking yeah. to you, but your friend is super into it. Yeah. So I'm like going like, to like yeah. shake their hand on stage because they're going to love it. Yeah. You know, and that yeah. feeds everybody. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I should clarify. I'm not going to, anyone who comes to the show, I'm not going to chase you down and like force you to make eye contact yeah. with me. I promise I won't do that. I'm just like one of those people that really love audience like audience participation yeah. I, I it's always, really it's always it. funny because when, when you are on stage and you look at an audience if you can see them you very quickly even if they're in a theater setting you can figure out like who's okay with me like me and no you're not mm-hmm. oh you don't want me looking at you at all you mm-hmm. know like you go you just have to like really quickly go you no you <laughs> just like you were saying but in, in in outdoors, that person might not like in this particular setting. That person might be there for this scene, but they might not be there for the next time you need them. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> you have to be able to switch to like who's the next person that I can make on, eye contact with. Mm-hmm. In some ways, sometimes like I find it's almost a little bit of magic. Like mm-hmm. when I connect with somebody mm-hmm. who was not expecting it, who maybe mm-hmm. came out to walk their dog mm-hmm. and happened to sit on the fountain just before I made my entrance, not on the fountain, but on yeah, the yeah. lip of the fountain. And, you know, and that's where I'm going to be sitting. Mm-hmm. And then I welcome them into the scene. And like that look of absolute delight that yeah. sometimes shows up on people's faces. And I'm like, great. This scene was worth it because some you've witnessed, you've been a part of magic. Like yeah. you are going to leave this experience and your day has been made. Do you find those though that there are people who like they come out to watch their dog and it's in the middle of the show, but they like stay with you from that point on. They're like, oh, yeah. come out and they're like, oh, I'm just, just going to see how this ends. And sometimes they come yeah. back the next day to see the first part of the show mm-hmm. yeah. that they missed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. And sometimes there's great, when we did uh, Two Gentlewomen, uh, there, there's a dog in the show and mm-hmm. there was a uh, a scene with uh, me and Giselle and Leslie and the dog Starbuck mm-hmm. um, and we're doing the scene and this small child not a care in the world just runs up and just starts petting Starbuck <laughs> and it's just like oh the puppy and it was just kind of like you could see all of the audience was super into that yeah. the fact that like <laughs> here we are and somebody can just run up and start mm-hmm. petting the puppy and we're all good to go yeah can I add, was the, having a dog in the show a challenge in a place where dogs go? No. No, no Starbuck, yeah. is, Starbuck was very, very well-behaved. Okay, that's good. She is, mm-hmm. She's a professional actor through and through. Nice. Hire her for all of your needs. Um, <laughs> she looks great in a tiny hat. Mm. She listens. Um, I can, however, say it is a struggle uh, being in a show where dogs are. Uh, mm. I missed an entrance two years ago because I saw a corgi and I was petting it. And, uh, so I just didn't do the transition I was supposed to do. Um, I was doing more important things. I mean, to be fair, 
You were petting a dog. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. Because it is a park that a lot of dogs come to, sometimes you are competing with the cutest dog you have ever seen, and you're just not going to win. Yeah, no. Well, how can you compete with that? No, you can't. Dogs also like jumping in the fountain. Oh, yeah, that's good. Well, that's certainly also going to take some focus away from the play. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Especially when you're doing a scene in front of the fountain. There's this, like, (laughs) 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 So what do you, in that case, do you forge ahead with the scene, or do you just acknowledge the fact that everybody's watching the dog and just sort of wait? No, well, I think it just depends. (laughs) I mean, last, you brought up the fire engines Mm. last year. Um, They just loved Don John scenes. Every Mm. every time Don John would start talking, fire trucks would come. And so... The first, uh, the first time I think I I carried on, and then the second time I was like, nope, and I just waited for them to finish, and then and the know, audience you, loved it. Yeah, yeah. Like I think so, the audience laughed and cheered because like they were in it together. They know they're like they know that the actor has made it a choice to acknowledge what's actually happening around them, and mm-hmm. the audience really like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it just depends on what it is, you know. Yeah, if there's a gift, there was a company that did. I think it lasted for two years. One year they did Romeo and Juliet, and the next year they did uh, Oedipus, and they did it under the Bathurst Street Bridge, mm-hmm. under the Gardner Expressway, mm-hmm. during the exhibition. Yeah. And so, of course, what, what sound were they most uh, uh, competing with? The constant streetcar. Mm-hmm. And so there were times when the streetcars were, were so loud that they would just be like, we're just going to wait a second. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they have to wait, but like, that was there. Yeah. There are noises around you, and you kind of have to just deal with that. I had a teacher uh, once say to me, uh, I, I, like, and say to the class, and it was more about you know, thing, like the importance of like being aware of what's going on around you and and always staying present. Um, but uh, she was like, if you drop a pen on the ground, mm. the play is no longer what the play is about. The play is about the pen on the ground. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because if the, nobody acknowledges it, yeah. nobody then it completely takes you out, and now you're focused on the fact that oh, when are, when are they going to pick up the pen? Like, do they know that the pen is there? Can yeah. we, you know? And so I think in a place where there's a lot of distractions, you do have to <laughs> sort of like pick your battles of what you're going to acknowledge, because yeah. otherwise the show becomes about a fire truck, or yeah. the show becomes about mm. a dog in the fountain. I was love and hate those moments when somebody like drops something like those ones, mm-hmm. and then you watch people not know how to deal with it because their blocking doesn't include picking yes. up the the handkerchief or something and and suddenly when somebody does actually just sort of go well I'm, you know nobody's gonna pick that up and just pick that up even if it's from another scene suddenly the audience is like oh okay yeah somebody dealt with that thing well and like that's the thing is like you either watch people like not know what to do because mm-hmm. this thing uh fell down yeah. and they're like it's not in the blocking to go pick it up or you watch somebody who's like this, this is i'm going to very surreptitiously just pick this up and it's just kind of like or your character makes the choice to pick up the pen yeah like as a human being if yeah. you knock something over, you as a human being go, oh, oh okay, yeah, I gotta, yeah, yeah. I gotta pick that up. Like it's, not, <laughs> but like for some reason, actors are like, the director told me I must be on this side of the yes. table. I cannot go get that pen. <laughs> and I love how there's often in in those casts, there's often like one or two people who are like, I don't fucking care. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh no, Jen dropped, and other people, and somebody finally just walks across and says, blah blah blah. There's my line pen in my pocket. The sad thing about like, you, you, you. <laughs> And that person who just was like, there's a pen on the ground. They pick up the pen. They're like, where did this pen come from? They put that away. And they go to see the audience is like, yeah. You hear like smatterings of like, finally somebody did the thing. So yeah. the audience is acknowledged. Like they are aware of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So there isn't, there's not, I think because people are used to TV, it's like, I'm not supposed to do this. And in TV, that would be gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, what are your, what are your Shakespeare backgrounds um, aside, outside of Dauntless? Where do you <laughs> heard of him. <laughs> nice, thank you. Right. Um, Eric, what did you? Uh, what's your, your Shakespeare exposure? I don't know. Um, I did. For the record, he just took off his glasses and threw them on the table, so he doesn't want to answer the question. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. I really like railed against Shakespeare when I was in a jerk because. You know, it's like, oh, everybody likes Shakespeare. I'm a rebel. I don't like Shakespeare. <laughs> was this high school? Like, seriously, I did that. Yeah, like high school thing. and like as I was starting to get into, into theater. And, stuff. Mm. and then I had to do a monologue for an audition. I was like, oh, this stuff's juicy. <laughs> and so I dabbled a bit. Mm. Um, and then I did like my 
like kind of started to really concentrate. I did. Oh, sorry. I did like four Shakespeare shows in the course of a year. I think two as an actor, one as an assistant director, mm-hmm. one as a. I don't. I don't remember. Anyway, there are four of them. Yeah. Um, and then I got. And then I did two seasons mentoring and directing at the Stratford Festival, mm-hmm. and then moved here and did a lot of work with Dauntless. Mm-hmm. And Mel, <laughs> do you want my glasses to throw on the table? No, that's okay. I mean, anyone who knows me well enough knows that I've loved Shakespeare since I was very young. Um, and kind of, like was an odd person out in high school like also I've no one liked Shakespeare where I was and I I was just I loved Shakespeare I loved drama and um and then uh yeah I went to university and the the love I went to UVic um Vancouver Island even though I grew up in the city um and like my love for Shakespeare grew but got more complicated um, because there's problems, yeah. you know, obviously. <laughs> and then, um, when I moved back to the city, I started working or I took a hiatus from all theater for a while, uh, cause I, I was really frustrated and then I returned and, uh, I've done a lot of sh- like mostly Shakespeare or <clears throat> very strange dark absurdist physical theater <laughs> those are like the two things that i do so i get i cover those both ends together. of the spectrum uh and most of the dark physical stuff tends to be more political which is nice um but yeah so uh, i've worked with shakespeare bashed a couple times um dauntless uh wolf manor you did caesar with wolf manor oh wolf manor yeah and um uh, Heart House. I did Titus for Heart House. So yeah. As so you as you, you describe yourself as sort of like an odd child who, who loved Shakespeare from the early days. Were you yeah. exposed to Shakespeare really early? Did you see something that you um, particularly I, loved? I saw. Uh, so actually, the first experience of Shakespeare I had was um, YPT did a production of. Uh, the the works of William Shakespeare abridged. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that was the first time I actually was ever exposed to Shakespeare, and then um, it wasn't until I think in grade in uh, seventh grade we did Midsummer Night's Dream, mm-hmm. and then I fell like mm-hmm. hopelessly in love, and then I just kept we did a Shakespeare every year, mm-hmm. um, and I just kept falling deeper and deeper into it, mm-hmm. and I did a program when I was in high school with the Resurgence Theater Company, which at the time was. David Ferry was artistic directing that, and I did like a youth conservatory with them. We did a lot of Shakespeare there, and just like escalated, yeah. <laughs> like it just like kept getting, you know, more and more and more, and um, cool. yeah. yeah. So, thank you, yeah. Jordan. Um. Well, I uh, I grew up in the UK, uh, and so the sort of like British uh, curriculum. They they t- they teach about Shakespeare pretty early so I remember I think it was probably grade four that we had uh, like this big field trip to go to the globe and like you know we saw a show and we did like a workshop like mm. that was focused on Macbeth or whatever which looking back on it now grade four is pretty, pretty early, early to deal with but at the same time problem. you're like you're like oh cool witches yeah. and murder and intrigue <laughs> and like at this point you've already gotten through the tutors in history so yeah. you're just like you're unfazed you're like yeah. the world is what the world is yeah. um, I think because Britain is so small you can't deny the fact that people die in horrible ways because you like take two steps and you're like oh and that's where they used to behead people yeah um and so, like, I was interested, sort of, you know, I was interested, I was very interested in musical theater as, as a small one. Um, and then I did uh, my BFA in theater at University of Winnipeg, and I was like, yeah, I'm just going to be doing, like, quote-unquote straight theater, I'm not mm-hmm. going to be doing musical theater, like, na 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 And so, of course, there's a lot of Shakespeare that you have to do, and uh, a lot of sort of, like, classical theater. And it was classical training. And the entire time I was plagued with professors being like, oh, you're too musical theater for, mm-hmm. for you're too musical theater for these things. Mm-hmm. Like, you will never be like a classical actor. Like, no, 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 no. So I do that. 
Uh, and then I, I went, ended up taking a musical theater program after the BFA. And the entire time, they're all like, mm, you're such a Shakespeare actor. You're such a classical actor. Like, classical, classical. Like, that's going to be your bread and butter. And so it was just like, excuse me. <laughs> like, what are we... Um, and so and since leaving that program, I have done a large portion of um, Shakespeare shows. I've, I've done stuff with Dauntless. I've done stuff with Spur of the Moment. I've, oh, yeah, that's another one. Um, <laughs> I've done Shakespeare all around. Um, yeah. Uh, um, you mentioned, like, when you were in grade four, they went to the theater. Was that, like, how they started you on Shakespeare in England? Or this is in your experience? They, like, took you to see a show and didn't, like, make you read it first? Oh, no, we read it. Oh, I remember okay. we had to, like... The only assignment I really remember was we had to, like, create, like, our own version of, like, the spells in, like, the beginning where they're, okay, they're yeah. going, like, uh, double bubble. But, yeah, no, we 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 read it, mm-hmm. which is kind of, like, hilarious that, you know, because we're just, like, in grade four. Yeah. Um, but it would, it would be, like, so we'd read it and then the teacher would, like, Cliff's notes. Right what happened because we're all like I don't know what this means or whatever yeah yeah Yeah, we had to do that with Midsummer. we read and then our teacher like made us and this a teacher can make or break your Shakespeare experience Mm. like so much Um, I was really fortunate I never had people being like knocking Um, I'm just sorry I'm just like stuck on your experience with university and how like theater school screwed up anyway um that's that's an entirely different yeah, I know, podcast I know. But yes uh but like yeah our, our teacher would make us take a scene and then we'd translate it right mm-hmm. in our own words and as long as it was the same yeah. text and that was a really great way for us to bring our own style and everyone had their own scene and everyone chose different time periods and it was really yeah. fun and delightful and just a great way to get creative. <laughs> I remember, I sorry, I remember in high school, like the, you know, the very high school thing where they make you like this person has to read and then it moves down yes. to the desk behind yeah. and they have to read and whatever. Yeah. Um, like I went to a very small high school. So it, it's like, I was the only theater kid. You know what I mean? Like there's other people that like, like the band kids would yeah. do the would do the show, the dinner theater mm. show. But like, I was the only one that's like, yeah, I'm a theater kid. Um, and so we'd be sitting there and we were reading through Hamlet for whichever grade. And like, it's like I knew, I knew that the speech was coming, and I was just like counting desks because I was like, <laughs> it better be me because I cannot <laughs> listen to one of these other shitheads sit here and be like. Uh, to be or not to be, that is the question, whether it is nobler in the mind. Like, literally just don't care at all. And I, that's really embarrassing to think back on now that I was like, it's gotta be me. But the question that I need to know the answer to now is, was it? No, it was the kid God in front damn of it, me. No. I know, I know. I sat there just like... I'm like, I would have done that so much better. I had a teacher who was like, "All right, read, we're going to go line by line," and I was like, "Oh my what? god!" So we're going to start at the front of the room, one line, one line, one no. line. I was like, oh, and of course, it, like, no wonder people it leave high school and, and hate Shakespeare. Just, yeah. So many teachers are like, "I don't even understand what this says." So yeah, do whatever. it by scene. Can you just like do it by scene? Yeah. Can we, can, I think that, you know, here, like, because my school, they make us do all these projects and then they take us to see it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think they should take oh, you to see it. Yeah, that's the first thing you should do. And then make you read it and then make you do the same. <laughs> like, they always oh. would have a movie version for us mm. to watch at some point, but it was never, honestly. it was never a good, a good version. No. Like, the only time was, like, Midsummer. obviously yeah. you get the I one have, with Stanley Tucci yeah. and I have Whatever. a really hard time watching Shakespeare as a movie. Like, a, yeah. a, a very difficult time. There are it very is, few yeah. movies where it, it works. Very well, then when you, do, yeah. when you do Romeo and Juliet, all of the teachers are like, no, we're going to show you the one from the 60s. We're not going to show you Baz Luhrmann's or whatever. No. And then, like, inevitably, the teacher can't find that version. Yeah. So that <laughs> so, version is actually... That might be the only Shakespeare that yeah. I really like. Is the, and so, they, the so you end up one. watching the, the Baz Luhrmann one, and you're like, uh... And then <laughs> Mercutio is the drag queen, yeah. and I don't know. Which, like, is, is gr- it's great once you... Like, <laughs> actually understand but like it really messes kids up they're like they're all wearing hawaiian shirts i don't know um 
Yeah. I remember the oh, I remember the Othello one we had to watch was the the one with like Anthony no. Hopkins and no. Blackface. No. What? Yeah. I didn't know. I know Lawrence Olivia did, but I didn't know Anthony. Yeah. There was there was one. It's with Bob Hoskins as Iago, who was amazing. Oh, he would be so good. He's he would be so such, good. He's such. A, he was like one of the best Iagos I've ever seen. But then Anthony Hopkins is Othello, and it's not. It's not like act like. It's not like minstrel show blackface. They just, no, but it's still they blackface. Just, they, it's still blackface. They tan him right up. They made him look like a more, yeah. They're yeah, they're like taking a, the a Ariana Grande version mm. of blackface yeah, as opposed yeah. to just like the Al Jolson. Yeah, it's still there's a long history of 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 of, of, of that, and it's like I'm, glad, I'm very glad we're past. Well, in theory, past that. Yeah, Although it still surprisingly happens. To anybody listening at home. Do not, <laughs> do not do it. <laughs> if you don't have people to cast for Othello or don't Titus do Andronicus, don't do them. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, oh, in the time we have left, I would like to talk to uh, talk about um, the the queering of Shakespeare, mm-hmm. and which is something that 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 Thomas has a history of doing, and mm-hmm. and and. I understand the reasons for it, but I think a lot of people might not be, and and, and, and might be uh, uh, surprised by it. So, can we talk a bit about about uh, the, the the querying of, uh, of of this particular play, and, and and how that reflects how that is reflected in the play? Could we have all queer people to talk about it? <laughs> queer. <laughs> Do you want to start? I want to get something. Uh, I don't know. What? Uh, you start. Okay, I will. I will start. So. Uh, a large, a large portion of of the sort of queering of of this play uh, kind of comes from the fact that um, you know that you have queer people working on it mm-hmm. um, and like queer actors making it and and so it just kind of becomes like you want a story that you can relate mm-hmm. to that makes sense for you and it's easy enough to find. Uh, within it and a, a lot of that like people are like well how do you do that like you really have to like mess with the text and and to a large Just portion so you don't nope. you really you really don't like and I think that you know maybe it's because it was like it was a time where you professed your love to your companions yes. quite regularly which yes. is not something that we as a culture do now no. but so it's very very easy to leave it intact but still sort of push things one way or the other and and another way is to do it like that's that's one way to do it um which is more of the way that we did it for for this version is 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 pushing what already existed in the text um to bring out uh the nuance and the narrative that we we want to bring out um i know that when we did two gentlewomen it was a process of of course changing pronouns but also just casting it so that the lead is a woman um and the first love interest is a non-binary person, and the second love interest is uh, a cis man. So mm-hmm. it becomes it becomes more about the ambiguity of mm-hmm. of sexuality mm-hmm. uh, than than just being like, here's a story where pretty straight couples <laughs> end up together. Yeah. There's not enough stories like that. No, no, no. no. There's just so few stories about straight people. Yeah. Um, I would like to say two things. Okay. One is a quotation from the internet. A quotation from the internet? I'm going to fudge it just a touch, but not in any way that changes it. Um, It goes as follows. Shakespeare is not pretentious. Fans of Shakespeare are pretentious. Shakespeare is 1,200 dirty jokes strung together by increasingly ridiculous plot lines and increasingly queer characters. Don't let the archaic language fool you. Mm-hmm. Right? Word. Um, also, on a more pretentious note, <laughs> like, I know that, say, specifically working with Much Ado, because that's one that I really had to dive into a lot of aspects with personally, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is that one of the big strengths of, of Shakespeare in general is, like, the, the characters are, are people. Of course, they are partly defined by things like gender and, I think, sexuality and that sort of stuff. But it is very easy to change those things around. Mm-hmm. And the characters are 100% solid anyway. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, like last year flipping Beatrice and Benedict's genders. Yeah. Like, I got a little bit of flack. 
But didn't matter. The characters were 100% solid. Yeah. We had mm-hmm. to change some of the language. We had to, of course, change the pronouns. We had to remove certain elements where Beatrice is like, I am a woman. It's like, okay, we're going to take that out yeah. because that's just going to confuse people. Mm-hmm. And the characters absolutely held. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the big strengths of Shakespeare in general. The characters mm-hmm. always, always hold. And regardless of what you do. Like, with that in mind, regardless of, like, specifically talking about the sexuality aspect of queerness, mm. like, we in this particular one, we found a lot of interesting <laughs> things to do with the character of Parolis, because Parolis is played by a woman, mm-hmm. and she is a woman <clears throat> in our production, which meant that we had to be much more careful on how we did things and how it mm. read, because there are some things... That when it's a male parolist saying it, you're like, oh, yes, he's being gross and sexual. When a female parolist is saying it, it's like, oh, no, she's warning you. Mm. Um, as mm. well as, like, there is violence that uh, can happen between two male-coded people. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's because it's normalized in our society, it's seen a certain way. But the minute one of those people is a small, slight woman, mm. you can't look at it the same way. No. Because it, it just looks like, it just looks real bad. <laughs> Man, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're half you're half of what was that you're half of like some of the queerness in this in this show. I'm half of some of the queerness. I don't know what that means. Um, I, I, I um, it's just really nice. Well, I don't see. I don't want to. Yes. Yeah, I know. So it's like how do you. Why- Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, right. but it's really um, it's really nice to work on a classical play and and allow those references to read the way they're going mm. to read for a modern yeah. audience mm. and for a queer audience. Sure, and to just know that I'm working for a company that's not going to shy away from that, yeah. which is it's nice. Mm. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I yeah. so I, I don't want to give yeah I don't sure. want to give no that's fair that's fair. What stage do you guys have in rehearsal? Are you guys, how, how close are you to... The dress rehearsal is tomorrow. Oh, shit. The dress okay. rehearsal is tomorrow. All right. uh, and the show opens on Friday. Bullshit. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. Yep. So it's literally imminent, which yes, is why there's so many things going on in this room yeah, that are so putting many. things together. Yeah. Stevie is frantically sewing everything she can, and, and I don't even know what Scott's doing. Sewing but, on buttons. Sewing buttons. Yeah, I, you know, yeah. I had this brilliant idea, uh, so brilliant, I'm a genius, yeah. uh, that France was going to be like vaguely 18th century, like Rococo inspired. Yeah. Which is great, but it's been a lot of work. I, you know, <laughs> it's I, to you, think of. you said that, and so this is my favorite time period. When I yeah. heard you say that, I was like, "Oh shit!" I was like, "She's gonna like figure it out." They're sorry, they're gonna figure it out, and like, you know, then we're just like screwed. We're not gonna. But it's my favorite. If I had my like way, I would totally cosplay every day as oh, an 18th century strumpet. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think like, I had the idea, and I've like made like a stomacher and all this kind of stuff. I'm just like, yes, I've been saving these pins on Pinterest for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. Yeah, and to be like the the costumes are stunning. Awesome. So, thank you. We, we should be we, very we and proud. Stevie will take that. Yeah, they're they're really really stunning. I'm I'm super excited. Yeah, even if you don't like Shakespeare, I really really want people to come out and see this just to see how you adapt 18th century clothing when it's going to be outside in the summer in the heat because yeah. <laughs> it, it's yeah there's some liberties that needed to be taken. Understandably, yeah, you can't ask somebody. To wear what they were wearing then in this goddamn heat. No. Nope. I think that's as good a spot as any to end. Thank you so much, you Thank guys. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. This has been a Homebody Productions production.